nuestra red nacional, our national, our national, uh, a People Action estamos trabajando con una plataforma de garantía de vivienda. So we are working on a uh, platform of guarantee of uh, housing. Esto es para garantizar las viviendas de la de eh, Housing Authority y las viviendas privadas. This is to guarantee housing at uh, the Housing Authority and also private housing uh, developments. Y detener las corporaciones para estar seguros que todos tenemos vivienda y no estar en la calle. And to uh, have some control on corporations uh, to ensure that everyone has access to housing and there's no homelessness. La plataforma política la tienen que tener todos los candidatos. Uh, all uh, candidates running for office should be adopting this platform. Vivienda costeables, viviendas seguras y garantía de vivienda. Affordable housing, safe housing, and a guarantee of housing for all. Este es un gran país y tenemos que hacer valer nuestra voz con nuestras viviendas que es una que es algo humano. This is a great country. Everyone has a voice and people have and we need to make our voices heard that everyone has a right to fair housing. This is Chris Roth here with Bushido Squirrel with your weekly knock activism wrap up. Today, we're going to be talking about voter guides, pedestrianization, cop shit, and talk movement politics with our friend, organizer, and activist Kendall Mayhew. But first, how's it going, Bushido? Uh, it's going pretty well. It's an interesting couple of weeks I got. I'm a little bit checked out on activism stuff at the moment because I'm uh, moving back to L.A. finally. So yeah. uh, my win and y'all's loss. I'm excited to be getting back to LA just as the election like hits its crescendo at least for this round uh, definitely looking excited to be there for the fight for November because it's going to be uh, it, holy shit it's going to be so bad uh, uh, and yeah, yeah I, I do I, I do want to tell a quick story so I found out that a sure. guy I know uh, from uh, sort of the organizing scene here out in Arizona got hired by the Bloomberg campaign yeah. and oh. Not in, like, bad faith. Like, he didn't get hired as, like, an internal saboteur or anything. Aww. You know, he's just, like, doing their bidding. And I get it. Like, billionaires have a lot of money to throw around, and you should totally, like, take their money when you can. Uh, but at the same time, like, don't take their money in good faith. Like, if you're going to be a progressive who's going to throw in with the Bloomberg campaign and actually work to get him elected, Grift you're not shit. fucking helping. It's yeah, so no. fucking bad. Uh, but anyways, uh, that little aside aside, uh, how are There's you doing, Chris? One of, those two, one of those two billionaires, I forget if it's Steyer or Bloomberg, but one of the two of them has an Apple store-looking office right next to the Nomad Hotel here in uh, in downtown L.A. I walked oh, past Mike. it the other day, and it caught me off guard. Is that Mike? It's Mike. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think Steyer's opened up all that many field offices. He's just not spending the money. Like, Bloomberg oh. is spending money and trying to literally buy himself an election machine. Yeah, that's true. Steyer, I kind of appreciate, like... I want to meet Bernie, but I don't have a billion dollars to burn on a presidential campaign to meet Bernie. Uh, you know, most dudes get to like a midlife crisis and like they just buy a sports car. But when you're a billionaire, you got to think bigger. Um, also, I know some like next gen activists who are kind of like of two minds where they wish that Steyer had taken all of this money 
and just given it to next gen, but also wish that he would have fucked off from the organization and just let them do the work. So I feel like Steyer Fair. has just made a series of terrible strategic decisions. Well, so I actually saw a number of Steyer folks at the uh, uh, Fire Drill Friday last week. So that was a... Uh like a whole bunch of people with like the Tom 2020 thing. It was just like, what? Like, I mean, it's pretty obvious that he's going to wrap it up and say, you know, vote for Bernie. Um, and it's so. just going to take a few months. Well, they, he's, he's a Bernie stan. Like he's a yeah, big fan of, of Bernie. <laughs> I don't know what just value he thinks he's better. adding to the, you no. know, the presidential platform, but at the Go same time, Fox like News. he's also not doing any harm, you know, like of all the billionaires out there, like Tom Starr is one of the like, not worst billionaires. He's still not great, but he's not like as directly involved yeah. in like decimating our society as like Michael Bloomberg is. Uh, you know, he's more, you know, destroying it at like arm's length by investing in fossil fuels and private prisons and stuff. And he's made some changes to his portfolio to like try and make it look more in line with his progressive values. But at the same time, it's still like, you know, don't vote for a billionaire, no matter how nice I mean they seem. The, the tagline of every billionaire is a policy failure immediately pops to mind for uh, discussions on any of this stuff. But yep. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the, um, I mean, other than that, like uh, things are things are going well here in L.A. We've got a lot of stuff going on. There was an amazing uh, barnstorm event at the Nithia campaign headquarters this week. Uh, I baked some Those cookies photos to them out there and it was fun. Oh, it, it was an amazing like just uh, it, it's. The energy in that campaign is inspirational, and uh, Nithya is just an amazing candidate. We're gonna uh, win. And al being. Oh, also, yeah. I just gotta I, I gotta celebrate a little win. This isn't like this is just my petty social media editor kind of like self coming out. But I got to edit like I've been doing a lot of editing for the the Nithia campaign, and I got to edit the videos with uh, uh, Natalie Portman and Jane Fonda and Nick yeah, Offerman, you did. and uh, <laughs> like they're not you know these aren't like super complicated edits or like a lot of work, but it's really fun to like watch something that you kicked out get a lot of social media pickup. Like Natalie Portman tweeted out the video, which fantastic, but then you know like twenty five thousand other people have watched it, and like that's really cool, and it's really affirming that we're not living in an echo chamber where it's just like us sitting around talking about how we're doing such a great job that the Nithia campaign is growing. Like every week yeah. it is larger. There are more volunteers. There's more momentum. Yeah, we're picking up more and more so people good. and that's so super fulfilling. And it's cool to see that like in the metrics because as somebody who's made their career in like YouTube editing, you kind of live and die by the numbers. And I kind of miss my old gigs where I would get, you know, a million views in 48 hours. Like that feels ha. really cool. That you're That's like, Hey, I did rush. that thing. And like a million yeah. people watched it. That's crazy. Why are a million people caring that Selena Gomez is fighting with Taylor Swift on Twitter? I don't care. <laughs> a million people watched my work. That's dope. Well, I mean, so, so, uh, rolling that straight into this, uh, the next segment here, um, talking voter guides, I've got, I'm, I'm kind of feeling that same bit of a dopamine hit because I wrote that piece about, uh, there's there's a guy running for judge who absolutely should not be a judge, um, and that that article has gotten a good amount of traction. And it's like I've never seen something that I wrote uh, have you know what sixteen hundred plus people having fully read the article, yeah, and having like eight thousand views on it so far. Like it is, it's kind of fun, and you know, seeing that especially with text is even even more fun. Um, I mean, like yeah. I got I got yelled at by the Republican challenger for governor. 
uh, last election cycle because Hell, I kind yeah, of a, you a did. lukewarm endorsement of Newsom. <laughs> he made a up. medium account for you. Yeah, to reply I know. It was, it was pretty funny. I was, I was just kind of like, this is a bad sign, dude. When like you're <laughs> taking time out of your life as an incredibly wealthy gubernatorial candidate to yell at a gadfly from L.A. with like zero name recognition, like you have severely fucked up. Oh come on, you're more than up. a gadfly. <laughs> <laughs> Do yourself some credit. But yeah, no, that that was a great piece, and I I still I actually uh, highlighted that when I was discussing our voter guide with somebody being like, look, we even got the Republican candidate to respond to my friend and like drag, try to drag you and be like, I'm not that bad. I care about things. It's no, like, his, his opening line was, I'm only worth $200 million. I'm not. A oh yeah, that's right. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> that's not a, that's not really the, the opening salvo you want to start with. Self deprecation of the extraordinarily rich to be like, I'm not as rich as you think I am. Yeah. But you know what? Uh, before we get into the voter guide, uh, we're actually going to talk movement politics here with Kendall Mayhew. So before we get into the news, we have Kendall Mayhew, who's an organizer with Power and Ground Game LA, in to talk with us a little bit about movement politics on a local and national level, specifically about Bernie and then Nithya Raman. So uh, how are you doing today, Kendall? I'm good, Tim. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for joining us. So let's let's talk a little bit about this, because there's a lot of energy around movement politics, but I'm not sure everyone understands what's going on there. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't under, don't even know the term necessarily. Um, but yeah, movement politics. Um, what we talk about when we talk about a movement candidate, what we're referring to is somebody who um, is actually accountable to the people who are directly impacted by policy and the most directly impacted by policy. Not just somebody who's coming in and, and talking, giving lip service to progressive ideas, but somebody who actually is accountable to uh, the folks who are most impacted by policy. Um, and, uh, like, you know, the, also the eventual thing is that we want to get people in there who are the directly impacted people to be running for office. Uh, and the whole mm -hmm. larger concept of this is that we're changing the idea of what is electable, right? Um, that has really, uh, kneecapped progressive policy, uh, in my opinion, for a very long time, the, the concept of electability, um, whether it be that you need to be a, you know, an English speaker or, you know, American born or uh, if you, you know, you need to be white or male, all of these things. Um, and there are so many people who uh, could never qualify for that because of the nature of their identity or their existence. Um, so movement politics really challenges that. So what does that look like on the ground? Like, what does a movement politics campaign look like compared to, like, what we regularly think of as a campaign? Like, how are they structured differently? What are they trying to achieve in a different way? What that looks like on the ground uh, is uh, something like, you know, uh, if we're looking at the Bernie Sanders campaign, you're talking about the uh, massive amount of mobilization that's happened because of grassroots organizations that support the Sanders campaign. That support from those organizations comes because Sanders has been incredibly accountable to them. Um, speaking from experience as a ground game member, you know, we actually had a meeting with Bernie where we were able to to push him on our uh, housing agenda and ask for uh, commitments on uh, things that other candidates have uh, been unwilling to even sit down and talk to us about. Um, so that mobilization comes because of his accountability to us. And on a local level, uh, with Nithya Raman's campaign, we're talking about uh, a candidate who literally crafted her housing policy with the help of people from directly impacted uh, communities. So, 
We had power leaders in the room, folks who live in public housing, folks who are Section 8 tenants uh, in the room with Nithya talking about housing concerns. Um, and so that that housing agenda that she has is literally made with the help of directly impacted community members. So she is um, not just accountable to those communities for their support, but also she is actually incorporating their ideas into her actual agenda. Yeah, and I actually got to be there in the room while we were having these meetings. It was a, a very vibrant, fun experience of getting all these community leaders from different organizations like like what Kendall was saying, we had a number of ground game folks, a number of power folks, a number of people from like K-Town for All, from SELA, from all of these different organizations, ACT LA, there were tons of people who came in and sat in that room and we had a big round like circle of chairs set up and we were just talking about all these different policy ideas, just ping-ponging back and forth, coming up with stuff. It was all getting written up on the wall and then her core team took that like hodgepodge of ideas and distilled it into a very coherent, uh, easily like the most progressive housing policy that I have ever seen from a candidate's platform. So it's dope to see that out of these kind of movement candidates. That's the kind of thing that you can only get with a movement candidate. Yeah. And Nithya has also hired uh, staffers who came from these different organizations, right? So, you know, two of her campaign managers are ground game founders. Uh, her two campaign managers are ground game founders. Uh, and she has uh, staffers that came from the movement work, uh, not just on housing, but on other issues like immigration and environmental issues. Um, so she's literally putting her money where her mouth is by, you know, bringing those folks into into the fold. Um, and that's what we want to see more of going forward, because because the extension of the electability question is also about who gets to craft policy and who is uh, trusted to, you know, craft policy ideas. Uh, and for a very long time, that's been really the realm of the elite and the academic um, and the academic elite. <laughs> so that that's that's the concept of co-governance, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So can you can you explain that to the listeners for a minute? Yeah. So co-governance is you know uh, a uh, analogous idea to movement politics. It's the same concept, but um, the idea that you know if we have an elected official, they should be governing with the people, um, not just for the people, right? So uh, so it's it's about once a candidate is elected, continuing that relationship. Uh, once once they're in office. Uh, and uh, that's how you keep a candidate accountable, um, by working together to, to enact those policies that you talked about during the candidacy. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a pretty cool, it's a, uh, I, what they would call democracy. I think, the, I think that's the such a novel concept <laughs> uh seems like it's becoming more and more novel every day uh, uh mike bloomberg <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it really is a, a total counter to the politics of uh the oligarchy the politics of the you know authoritarian and the demagoguery that we see from uh the republican party right now um it's a yeah, and it's and it's also about long term vision and uh, you know building uh, a strong community. Uh, you know that this is the kind of leadership that builds a community, so that it's not dependent on an elected official to, you know, protect them, save them, rescue them, whatever. That's not the point. The point is to be somebody who can be an extension of the community work that's already happening. So what are the hurdles that a movement campaign faces? Um, you know, obviously, 
they're probably not running with the establishment. They're probably not calling on billionaire donors. But like, <laughs> what are the, the things that make running a movement campaign a little bit harder than running what we consider a normal campaign? Yeah, the challenges are uh, kind of what you just touched on. Money, obviously, is a huge challenge. Uh, you know, in, in Nithya Raman's race, for example, uh, she's facing an incumbent who's raised over a million dollars. It's a record-breaking amount of money in an L.A. city council campaign. Uh, of all of the candidates across the city that are running for city council, I believe there are like 25 candidates or something like that, they've raised, as a total, all of those candidates have raised $4 million. And this one incumbent has wow. raised a quarter of that, that is money. Absolutely insane. Yeah. And, you know, that money is coming from a laundry list of the dirtiest companies in the world. Um, you know, huge fossil fuel interests, uh, DART. Yeah. styrofoam takeout container company that has bought city council. It's why LA still has styrofoam takeout containers. Other cities have banned this incredibly it's such destructive a toxic, product. It's such a toxic product. Uh, um, there was an expose in the New York times about dart just last week, I believe. Um, and, uh, and real estate developer money, tons and tons of real estate developer money. Uh, very, very dark, money interests. It's very obvious. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really like veep level farce that's happening. Uh, taking $20,000 from a styrofoam company is just a joke. To be fair, uh, Pete Buttigieg is coming out and saying that there are these various dark money packs, uh, that are coming together to oppose his candidacy. And I know that he singled out yeah, people's us. action. Yeah, that's, that's me. I'm the dark money. Um, so we're, we're literally, I'm in the room we, right now with yeah, a dark money activist. I'm a huge activist. dark money we all, we all dug people's action. I give them $25 every quarter. We all dug deep into our pockets for all the change. And like, we're just... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is such a ludicrous uh, assertion. I mean, you know, he's talking about the fact that the largest grassroots, the largest coalitions of grassroots organizations yeah. like People's Action, the Sunrise Movement, the Dream Defenders, um, you know, have come together to support the only candidate that in a, in multiple generations is actually talking about bold ideas and is actually listening to the grassroots. Uh, you know, what a, how shocking that, you know, how shocking that the young, the young children who are terrified of their future are <laughs> coming together to pool their resources to fight for Bernie. Um, yeah, so that, that's what they're talking about when they say that. The reality is that, you know, Pete Buttigieg has taken donations from 58 billionaires or something insane, um, uh, billionaires who have nefariously donated to Republican candidates as recently as 2018, 2019. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like uh, a lot of them are literally sex criminals uh, who were on Jeffrey Epstein's flight logs, whatever. You know, nobody nobody's paying attention. Yeah, there to was that. there was a fun thing in Chapa where they basically made a, a conspiracy con conspiracy theory link. You know, full corkboard with the the push pins and the red yarn. Uh, that pretty much directly connected uh, Buttigieg to Epstein, but you know we're we're not condoning this. We're just saying it's a very interesting and relatively compelling story. Um, you can go as deep as you want to that stuff, but the things <laughs> yeah. that are surface level and that they're doing out in public are are enough, are absolutely, absolutely. enough to condemn the candidacy of a Pete Buttigieg, a Mike Bloomberg, um, and uh, yeah. So so that so that hurdle. 
of, and this has been something we've talked about for a long time in movement politics and movement work, is that a big hurdle, obviously, is money. Um, money is on the side of the right wing in this country. It's on the side of establishment Democrats. It's not on the side of the poor and the working class. Um, duh. Uh. <laughs> I mean, it's it's also not just the campaign contributions themselves and the expenditures of the campaigns. It's the fact that the people who are going to be voting are being pushed and pulled in every direction by the system under which they have to mm -hmm. sell their labor for wages in order to survive. So the money is compounding on that end as well. Like yeah. you, if you don't have the money and the leisure to be able to spend your time following this stuff and doing this kind of research, it can be incredibly overwhelming for a lot of people. So they, they, they just check out of politics because they're just struggling to make rent. Day -day. Yeah. A hundred percent. And you know, and, and a lot of the, the establishment, one, one thing, I mean, I highly recommend following Nithya Raman on Twitter. And, and one thing that she's been doing a great job of is exposing the very mundane and accepted corruption of local politics here in California. Um, you know, one of the one of the big things that she pointed out that I think is really important to tell people is that any voter in California knows you're going to get literally a thousand mailers. Literally, I, I literally will receive a thousand mailers during this election cycle, physically a thousand of them probably. Um, and I can tell you, door knocking, you go door to door in every apartment building. There's just a trash can next to the to the mailbox, and there are just a pile of election mailers in them. Come on, guys, that's recycle. What People just throw these mailers away in the recycling, probably a lot. Chris, this is California. People are indoctrinated <laughs> to recycling. But um, but the the truth about those mailers is that these are, um, a lot of them are a slate of candidates, an endorsement slate of candidates, and it'll say, California progressive environmental voters suggest you vote for the following 20 candidates. The reality of these organizations is that the California Progressive Environmental Voters, if you look it up, is an organization that does literally nothing except for print mailers every election cycle. And uh, if you check the, you know, for example, the incumbent that we're running against, if you check his donations, uh, you'll see an $11,000 donation to the California Progressive, you know, Environmental Voters Company, whatever. And that's literally what they do. They collect donations from, I mean, they collect, it's just literally bribes. They connect, collect a bribe from a candidate. They send out a mailer saying uh, 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 some word salad of progressive word verbiage uh, and send it out to candidates. It's like racketeering, honestly. It literally is. And these these organizations exist to do nothing else. Um, and sometimes these can be really persuadable, can be persuasive to certain sects of voters, especially voters who are not as uh, plugged in, uh, in particular, to the internet. So this is really targeting our seniors uh, in, in a large way. And it's it's incredibly, I mean, it's it's disgusting. Uh, and the Nithya campaign has had lots of these offers, and they've refused to take any of them. And instead, they've decided to start talking about this uh, grift, this absolute shameless grift that exists in our state. Some of them, I mean, there's one that's called the Feel the Burn mailer that just no. co yeah that just co-opted the Bernie no. Sanders movement and uh, uh, somehow assert that they are uh, in alignment with Bernie Sanders and they're literally endorsing David Rue, who's you know a um, uh, you know has a, an insane history of sexual assault 
allegations and uh, takes money from real estate developers and that has taken money from fossil fuel companies that Joe Biden has had to return donations from. I mean, you know, and this is shameless. <laughs> so uh, it's good that we're exposing this. And even some even some candidates get behind this. You know, I hate to say this on, on our recording, but, you know, Maxine Waters does a slate. And guess where those, those you know, endorsements come from? They come from people giving to her PAC. Um, the problem of money in, in, in politics is well documented. Uh, I can't do justice to it on this podcast, but there are several important uh, uh, documentaries. There's a ton of reading you can do to see the extensiveness of this. Um, and one thing that's really important for people who live in Los Angeles is that uh, we who live in glass houses need not be throwing stones around this country. When we talk about, uh, you know, we hear a lot of people in California talk a big game about how, you know, we are more progressive, we have more democracy, we are better on all these things. And you look at, go ahead and take a peek at the map of City Council District 4. You will not find a more gerrymandered district. Uh, like, you know, we love to talk about how the South is all gerrymandered. Well, guess what's gerrymandered? Los Angeles is gerrymandered completely. Um, and our politicians here are incredibly corrupt. They're bought and sold just because they have a D next to their name doesn't mean they're not corrupt. Um, they are. Yeah, those behested payments is something like we cannot say enough about behested payments. I mean, Bushido, you and I have, have shouted about it a bunch. Yeah. And I know like the LA podcast guys have shouted about it mm -hmm. a bunch. Um, but not nearly enough people out there are talking about this incredible, like it's, it's just a slush fund mm -hmm. for developers and other corporate interests to dump thousands, tens of thousands yeah. of dollars into these slush funds for these politicians. To, to sort of pivot uh, to, and this is kind of a big question for the, mm -hmm. the last question, but before we get too bogged down in campaign finance. <laughs> yeah, please, please forever. <laughs> Yeah, let's let's uh, the the question I wanted to kind of end on is we've talked about you know movement politics and movement candidates coming from the community. Yeah, but what does it look like to actually develop a movement candidate? You know, give us a, a short little like birth of a movement candidate idea. Like, are they coming yeah. from pre-existing organizers? Are they just some random dude who starts uh, canvassing his neighbors? Like, where are we finding and how are we developing these candidates? Yeah, so, I mean, I'll talk about Daisy Vega. Um, Daisy Vega is the um, treasurer of the Board of Power. Uh, Daisy Vega is a public housing resident in Mar Vista Gardens in Los Angeles. She is an immigrant from El Salvador. She um, uh, is an incredibly powerful community leader, uh, and she sits on the uh, resident advisory council of Mar Vista Gardens, um, which is the equivalent of a neighborhood council in public housing uh, currently. Uh, Daisy Vega is exactly the kind of person who uh, we eventually will be running for elected office, if I can get her to. Um, <laughs> um, and if we can, if we're lucky, um, uh, because she is a person who deeply, deeply understands the needs of her community, has done incredible work, um, and has been a part of crafting policy for years now. Um, the Homes Guarantee platform that People's Action has put forward and that Bernie Sanders has endorsed and Nithya Raman has endorsed, they've both become what we call Homes Guarantee candidates, signing our pledge to further the cause of, 
uh, having um, housing be a human right in this country. Um, uh, the squad introduced a bunch of housing bills uh, last week. Daisy was in D.C. for the press conference for that because she has been one of the um, one of the people in the room uh, crafting these housing policies. Um, Daisy, for a long time, uh, nobody I think would have thought that she could possibly be a candidate for office because Daisy doesn't speak English fluently. Uh, you know, Daisy is a Spanish speaker. <laughs> Uh, as you have the absolute right to be as an American citizen. And uh, she's an incredibly powerful leader. Um, but because we don't have a concept of language justice in this country, you know, she hasn't been seen as electable. And so that's how you develop a candidate. Mm -hmm. You develop a, a, a movement candidate by um, talking to a person who uh, gives a shit about their community and is willing to make sacrifices to do work for her community, which Daisy does. Daisy doesn't just work uh, in as a community person. Also, every time I see Daisy, she's redistributing food from local uh, restaurants that she knows and local grocery stores. She takes food from these places that they are in excess of, and she redistributes it to people who need food. In her. She basically operates a, like a food bank in her community. She does mutual aid projects. There's just no end to the work that Daisy does. Um, and she's also fierce and smart and creative. Uh, and so that, you know, that's what you do. You find the people who actually like are kind of already moving towards that work and then you facilitate their growth and you give them the resources that they need. Um, and you, you know, start talking to people and we, 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 do a cultural shift in our community around what we see as electable, what we see as um, who should be writing policy. And then you let them write policy. And then you get something like the Homes Guarantee Platform. And the Homes Guarantee Platform came out of people like Daisy all across the country from different organizations um, that are affiliated with People's Action. Uh, folks who live in senior housing, the Jane Addams Senior Caucus in Chicago, uh, the Kansas City Tenants Union in Kansas City, who have done incredible work in Kansas City. Um, you know, these folks from these organizations getting together in a room and talking about how they can, how they can uh, craft a policy that will actually address their needs. So that's how you develop a movement. Can you know these these are, these people are are all over the place, and it's really understanding that the people who are closest to the problem are closest to the solution, um, and and living that work. Um, and, and that's what we're going to see more of in Los Angeles. Um, uh, right now, what, what I'd like to see personally is I'd like to see Daisy be appointed to the board of HACLA here in Los Angeles. That's the housing authority of the county of L.A. Uh, there, that uh, is a board that is appointed. Um, if Garcetti knew what he was doing or if he cared about the people of public housing, we'd have a public housing resident on that board already. But um, Daisy would be uh, an incredible selection to that board who would do great work for the residents of public housing in Los Angeles who uh, deserve to live with dignity. I mean, this is a no-brainer for anybody who, who cares or understands, uh, you know, humanity. I mean, it just, uh, I, I can't imagine why we would have an entire board around public housing with nobody on it who lives in public housing. It makes no Ab sense. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> makes no things sense. Are, things are definitely going to change in the next couple of years. Hell well, Kendall, yeah. thank you very much for joining us and giving us this kind of like crash course on what movement <laughs> politics looks like and yeah, like what welcome. we can hope to achieve with it. 
and why we're doing that, because I think for a lot of folks, especially now, they don't see a reason to participate in politics, mm-hmm. and we really want yeah, to change that for them. Well, you know, and to be honest, those people haven't have been right. There really hasn't been, you know, I, I'll tell you, it, oh, yeah. I, I'm going to like to to speak about Nithya for a minute again. I'll say that, you know, having been you know in and around organizing work in Los Angeles for, you know, over a decade now, uh, we haven't had an opportunity to elect a candidate like Nithya in this city. And as a and as someone who grew up here. I'll say we really haven't had a candidate like this in my entire lifetime. So the the opportunity that we have here is unprecedented, and uh, the momentum that the Nithya Raman campaign has is incredible, and that's because she is talking about things that really affect people. She's being completely honest, and she's not afraid to expose the absolute fuckery of the establishment in our city. So yeah, thank you very much, Kendall, for coming by. This was a very enlightening conversation. And uh, if there is there any way that people can go ahead and and get plugged in, particularly with the work that uh, is going on in the Nithia campaign or in any of these other movement building activities, like how do people get plugged in? Yeah, totally. Um, so as far as the Nithia campaign goes, uh, they are doing an incredible job of canvassing their district. Uh, they have over a hundred volunteers coming out every single weekend. Uh, to knock on so doors good. for Nithya. Uh, that's, again, something that we have not seen. in the rain when the picture's on Twitter, right? in the rain, yeah. Rain or shine. Um, we have not seen that in a city council race in this city. Um, so it's really easy to get plugged into that campaign. You can go to Nithya for the city. That's N-I-T-H-Y-A for the city.com um, and sign up to Canvas there. Awesome. Uh, you can also uh, see more about her campaign and learn more about what is going on there on her Instagram page or on Twitter. Um, and uh, there's also phone banking and text banking options for that campaign awesome. too. Uh, and then as far as the Sanders campaign, which again is really important, uh, getting a win for Bernie Sanders in the primary in California is going to be really what's going to put us over the top to secure that nomination. Um, Ground Game is running Spanish language canvases. Uh, so if you're if you are a Spanish speaker, that's a huge asset. Uh, and we would love your help uh, in getting the word out to some of the most underserved communities in Los Angeles. We'll be door knocking in Pacoima uh, in San Fernando Gardens. Uh, and uh, if you want to DM the Ground Game accounts on Instagram or Twitter, you awesome. can do that. Hit us up uh, on the website, on Facebook. Uh, any you know, pick your pick your social <laughs> we'll, media we'll poison. Drop, we'll drop links and, and uh, you know Twitter <laughs> um, handles and all that into the into the episode description on the end of this. So yeah, and that that's super helpful. And then also just plugging in, um, staying informed and and keeping the conversation going. Like you know, informing yourself and, and letting people know about how how <laughs> letting people know about the the realities of this election, you know, awesome. like that's a, that's a really big part of it. And talking to your neighbors, talking to your friends, the number one reason why somebody votes for a candidate that they, a new candidate, uh, especially a challenger candidate like Nithya is because somebody that they trust told them about this candidate. That's, that's the key Great. is word of mouth. All right. Well, thank you very much for stopping by. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, hopefully be seeing Nithya moving on to the, maybe she wins outright. Uh, or if not, run off and it's going to be a hell of a fight. So thank you for the work that you're doing. I think we're going to win outright. Awesome. <laughs> thank you very much for stopping by, Kendall. Hell yeah.
All right. So the as we've mentioned a couple of times here uh, earlier in the podcast, the Knock Voter Guide is live. You should absolutely 100% go check it out and vote the way we tell you to because we did a lot of en- we put a lot of energy and research into uh, into this guide and and the pieces that are coming out in it are very like they're just really good. Uh, not not to you know toot my own horn, but the other the other pieces that are in there talking about Cindy Audison and talking about the candidates for all of these offices up and down the ballot. It's incredibly informative that like we have this kind of a resource that we can hand to people to be like, look, this stuff is confusing. You got six pages of ballot that showed up in your mail. It's you know thick, heavy paper. It's a big, fat envelope. There's lots and lots of bubbles to fill. Let's help you out and get some clarity on that. So well, and also so many so many LA politicians exist in power because people don't really know their name. They don't know who they are. Like that's how people stay in positions in the state assembly and the state senate is. Because people just kind of vote for the incumbent because they don't know what else to do. Exactly. It's 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 not a question of apathy so much as it's just just a a general lack of information out there for folks to digest. And it's like it it's not easy to come up with the information to make these assessments for all of these candidates uh, unless you like really are, are are tapped in and have been looking around for a while. Like we started working on this voter guide a while ago, and it takes uh, again a lot of energy from these from all of the other writers at Knock to put these things together. And in a lot of circumstances, things like the piece on the on the judge that I wrote uh, on the judge race rather is. Like there's all of these just blanket endorsements coming out of like the you know association of the DAs, like all of their 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 is it a union or whatever, but like their the association of all of the the deputy DAs puts out a blanket suggestion of saying vote for the DA who's running for each of these judgeships, and like any other coverage of these things, like if you've got a good compelling personal narrative, some of the details might get lost as to why you might not necessarily be the most qualified candidate for a position. So getting these kind of stories out there is a huge deal. And it's uh, it's also a lot of fun to write, just saying. So, yeah, and it's, it's also, I, there's also a, a bunch of other uh, progressive voter guides that are coming out um, and are out, uh, including Sunrise Movement LA and uh, released their first one. Which, yes, 100%. You know, in like, God, in the years since we founded that, because it's only been a year and change, like, Oh, Sunrise right, Movement has. has grown by leaps and bounds, and I am so fucking proud of like what they've you done, not be. just on a national 100%. level, but like them as local youth activists are just absolutely whipping ass, and it's amazing. Yeah. At the same time, there are some reactionary guys out there. <laughs> so it was pointed out to me, uh, and I forget who, somebody hit me up on Twitter about this, but KFI, which is like, one oh, of the last AM talk radio things that like your racist uncle listens to uh, released their voter guide from uh, John and Ken, I believe is their their name. Uh, not nearly as cool as Squirrel and Chris, you know. If you're gonna <laughs> if you're gonna have two names, like at least have good names. Uh, but anyways, nope. they made some some absolutely terrible reactionary uh, suggestions. So let's talk about those for a second, just so you like have a full accounting of like the forces we're fighting against. Yeah, well, first of all, their voter guide is extraordinarily lazy. They covered like six things. Um, but the six things that they chose to cover. Shit. None of us yeah. get paid, and we covered pretty much every race in LA County. Yeah. Fucking A, Fuck man. <laughs> yeah, so uh, their voter guide is awful. Um, they fully endorse Jackie Lacey because they are just reactionary shitheads. And they oppose both Prop 13 and, more importantly, Measure R because. 
uh, they're just not good people. Like they say, and I'm quoting here, quote, you might think it sounds like a good idea, right? After all, giving more investigative powers for a civilian commission looking at the L.A. County Sheriff's Department and jails is something that's badly needed. However, buried in the measure is a requirement that the commission reduce the county's jail population. That's a no-no poison pill, end quote. What? Yeah, we can't we can't we are, let people out of cages. What the yeah, fuck? We, we are you literally think this is the largest society? jailer. Uh, we are the largest jailer in the country. In the country, which makes us like I believe the largest jailer in the world. Oh, LA yeah, County no, we're Sheriff's. The, we're, like, the, we're the California's the largest jailer in the world. And at the same time, you know that that uh John and Ken are like running their mouths about how authoritarian and scary China is and how like they're just locking yeah, people up left and right. Well, at the same time, being like, no, no, we can't like let people out of cages here in the US. That's fucking anarchy. Ugh, it's just, it's so bad. It's so bad. But uh, ironically, in the uh, city council race for District 14, they actually, <laughs> they leave the door open for a candidate that we are recommending that you vote for, Cindy Otteson. Uh, um, they basically, because they're, they're urging that all of the voters go out there and vote for, quote, in all caps, anyone but Kevin DeLeon. Um, and so, of course, the, the rest of the voter guide is, um, does not really match up with what we're trying to do it all, but they 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 do leave the door open for the candidate that we suggest for at least CD14. Well, and their, their rationale yeah. for not Kevin DeLeon is A, thin, and B, just based on their own racism and reactionary-like sentiments. <laughs> like, there's no... They don't articulate any reason to not vote for Kevin DeLeon other than yeah. he was a guy in Sacramento who threw his weight around and won some big progressive wins, and they're, like, angered by that because, you know, the angry white guy demographic is becoming less and less influential by the day, and they just cannot abide by that, especially when they're getting paid six figures a year to spout this kind of bullshit, and they can't believe no one listens to them because they're super smarty pants. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it's it's annoying. It's shit, but it's out there. So again, and also uh, reiterating what Kendall said in, in that discussion that we had about movement politics, uh, the mailers that you get out there, those are 100% pay to play. Uh, they are not going to be good faith endorsements. And also, uh, remember, the L.A. County Democratic Party's official endorsements are also completely like pay to play, complete horseshit. Uh, Mark Gonzalez is not a good person and he is not running a good uh, regime over there at the L.A. County Democratic Party. Uh, do not trust what they say because they're going to tell you that you need to go vote for Mark Ridley Thomas. They're going to go tell you that you uh, I mean, they're, they're right on the Jackie Lacey, but like, oh, that took a lot of effort. Um, but yeah, it's just it's a mess. Uh, trust us because you listen to us. So trust us. Go vote the way we tell you to, please. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's move on to one of the weirdest stories, and not like in a bad way, but it's weird because of the context of LA politics, uh, where yeah. our most corrupt city council member in a long while, like LA City Council, famous for its corruption through the years, uh, but Jose Wezar has put them all to shame, and then turned around and did like a kind of cool thing. Which, again, like, isn't dependent on keeping Weezar. Like, you know, send his ass to jail for all I'm concerned. But 100%. let's definitely pedestrianize Broadway. Uh, so let's, let's talk about uh, his proposal. Yeah, so uh, let's give a little bit more context before we dive right into that. But so 
at the end of January, actually, it, the, this was the, the day after Market Street in San Francisco went car free. Mitchell Farrell actually rolled out a proposal for a sidewalk widening project on a stretch of Hollywood Boulevard. Uh, the proposal was met with quite timid applause from transit activists. Uh, actually, the, the L.A. podcast folks pointed out that this plan was far less radical than the New York Times Square pedestrianization plans that were rolled out under Bloomberg a full decade ago. Like, yeah, it's a... If you can't meet Bloomberg's progressive ideas from a decade ago and, and be better than that, that's a pretty low bar to clear. Um, one of the key features in Mitch's plan was a complete lack of space. Uh, like pointing, pointing out one of the key features that was missing, rather, was a complete lack of space that would be dedicated to any sidewalk vendors. You know, those yep. vendors that, the, that he pushed to ban from the current sidewalks because they'd be interfering with the flow of pedestrians, the ones he's, those same sidewalks that he's now making wider. Um, it's also missing like basically any nod at all to transit, um, though the proposed introduction of bike lanes would absolutely be a huge improvement over the status quo. But... Yep. In fact, this actually might make things worse for transit, as Bianca Barragan wrote for Curbed LA. She says, quote, Metro's frequent bus service plan aims to get buses through Hollywood every five to seven and a half minutes instead of every 20 to 60 minutes for some local buses. But this new proposal could actually slow buses down. It calls for buses along Hollywood to use cutouts for pickups and drop offs, which, quote, creates the potential for delays. The plan acknowledges as those buses would have to wait to re-enter traffic, end quote. Mm -hmm. uh, so we didn't really cover this thing much at all at the time because it didn't seem particularly radical. Like cars are still the focal point of the street. No real transit infrastructure is expanded. And it doesn't even bother to even like do the least things that they could do, like add trees to the fucking renderings. So it was extremely meh overall. But now, as you pointed out, the lame duck ignominious... That's a, such a... <sighs> the lame duck council member representing downtown, Jose Huizar, has proposed something that is absolutely worth mentioning. He's proposing banning cars from a mile and a half long stretch of Broadway from 1st Street up north all the way down to 12th Street, uh, which is around uh, the L.A. Live. Actually, is it south of L.A. Live? Eh, it kind of rolls right into uh, the southern it, end yeah, of L.A. Yeah, it gets Live. close to it. Yeah. So this area would still be open to pedestrians, bikes, scooters, and buses, but it would be completely off limits for private vehicles, other than presumably like local deliveries at some time of day. And well, and also like, like me who have to drive through it to yeah, get to the Yeah, I was going to say like your, your parking garage empties onto Broadway, so I'm it not does. sure how they deal with that. <laughs> well, my, I mean, I, I envision that they would end up having to go with the kind of thing that like all major European cities do for their central plazas, which is if you need to get into something there or make deliveries, they have bollards that are motorized and go up and down at certain hours or for certain vehicles with like a garage door clicker. Like it's a 100% a thing that can be done. It's just that people who design these systems in the U.S. are not looking to European cities that have already figured out how to fix it for solutions. It's infuriating. Anyway, uh, this is absolutely the way that we need to be moving forward. Alyssa Walker wrote a piece for Curbed that made a really solid argument for seven major streets in the LA to be made car free. Now there are proposals out there from our city council to start moving in that direction for two of those seven streets. The remaining five are three of our grand boulevards. I'm saying a lot of numbers, I apologize. Three of our grand boulevards, we got Wilshire, Sunset, and Santa Monica. And then we also have Alvarado Street that she's suggesting the area near MacArthur Park, which is already full of like the scramble crossings and everything else. Just go with the whole hog. Like, let's get all the way to making it car free and ready for pedestrians because it's already covered with people trying to walk around and, and removing those cars would just make life better for everybody. 
she's also suggesting that you know what we're doing, what is being proposed by Weezer for Broadway, be just extended, uh, you know, a couple of blocks away on Grand Avenue uh, in parallel to Broadway, and do that up by like the Disney Concert Hall and those museums up like LACMA and everything else that's up there that really is not a particularly pleasant area to walk around in as a pedestrian, but easily could be if they took the streets and changed them and put in some trees. Like it's, it's totally doable stuff. Like this is not that hard. And another fun thing here is that it's worth remembering that each of those boulevards, those three main boulevards, along with like everything else, like Vermont and a number of these streets that run as the main like north, south, east, west thoroughfares across this city, those all used to have streetcar lines back in the day. That's why they're so wide. That's why they have these gigantic medians. That's why that's why Colorado Boulevard looks the way it does. That's why it is such a nice place for people to walk around. Like it exists that way because it was designed for transit. Let's design it for transit again. Let's make these things complete street solutions and get the way that we need to be going because we're never going to be making meaningful progress in tackling climate change here in California until we take steps to decrease our dependence on private vehicles. Pedestrianizing these streets is a fantastic way for us to get moving in the right direction. <sighs> End rant. <laughs> So Wednesday was like a really big day. There was another Wednesday attempted-ish was sweep at Echo Park, which we're not really covering. We will be doing some more coverage as that develops. But keep an eye on Ground Game's uh, website and our Facebook. We've got some really big announcements coming up in the next week. But at the same time that the resistance in Echo Park was happening, uh, Mike Bonin was at City Hall pushing a homes guarantee for Los Angeles in what is a yeah. huge coup for our allies in power, in people's action, and the work we've been doing here at Ground Game to get a, a commitment to public housing, a commitment to affordability, a commitment to ending homelessness as we know it in this city and this country. So let's listen to what Mike had to say. Today we are here to declare that in the city of Los Angeles, we believe that housing is a human right and that housing must be treated as a human right and that we need a homes guarantee in the city of Los Angeles. This is about housing for all, and this is about ensuring the dignity of a safe, accessible, sustainable, permanently affordable home for everybody in Los Angeles. Throughout this city, people are being squeezed out of their home. Throughout this city, people are doubling, tripling, even quadrupling up in homes. People are moving out of Los Angeles entirely or moving far away and, and, and enduring grueling commutes to get to work. And more and more in Los Angeles, people who cannot afford housing are living on our streets. And many of them are dying on our streets. It, if it is not the inevitable result, it is certainly the predictable result of, of a system that has laws and markets that increasingly are regarding housing as something to invest in rather than as something to live in. And we need in Los Angeles to be treating housing as a human right and not just a commodity to be traded. Now, when we talk about housing in Los Angeles, the conversation, not just Los Angeles, around the country, tends to get very limited. The, the frame of the conversation is shaped by developers and investors and property owners, and we do not hear enough from tenants and neighbors and from struggling families. Around the country, an organization called People's Action, one of the largest people's organizations in the country, a collection of grassroots groups from around the country, a million of grassroots leaders, developed and last year began urging the approval of a national homes guarantee plan. 
That national plan focuses on creating new social housing, reinvesting in public housing, protecting renters and bank tenants, repairing centuries of racist housing policies, and ending real estate speculation and decommodifying housing. And just like when Leaders Nationwide proposed a Green New Deal, we acted to move on that locally and try to implement versions of a Green New Deal here. We need to do the same thing here with a homes guarantee. And that is by not just advancing the ideas of the people behind me and of the tenants and of the people suffering from the affordable housing crisis in Los Angeles, but hearing and elevating their voices. And this is, you know, kind of going hand in hand. Mike Bonin has been catching a lot of flack, and very justifiably so, um, for city council's inability to grapple with solutions that don't involve criminalization, that don't involve illegal planters and illegal fencing, and displacing people as a way to try and, like, solve homelessness. Uh, But at the same time, this is a really bold step in the right direction. And if we get what we're aiming for in March and then in November, we're going to have a cadre of very strong progressive city council members who can make this a reality and can push this over the goal line and begin to really build the kind of affordable housing solutions that we as a city and as a state need. And, you know, as Kendall likes to say, I'm from California, I'm from the future. We can live that. <laughs> like, we can lead the nation Absolutely. in this case. And I am really excited to see Mike, again, you know, kind of like, seeing what the community is asking for and being responsive to that. You know, it's Absolutely. he's he's gotten a pretty good record in the, the last couple of years understanding what it is that community organizers and community activists are asking for and beginning to push for that. And I think it's within some bounds. LA is a big, you know, chip. It takes a while to move it. It takes a, a bit to get somebody who is a city council member for more than a quarter million people to change political tax. Um, But once that starts happening, the dominoes start falling really quickly. That change comes a lot more quickly than you think. So it's really that first domino that's the hardest one. Once that happens and once you push that Overton window, things shift very quickly. Absolutely. And it's also worth pointing out that like Mike Bonin is... I would venture to say by far the most progressive member of city council that we've got. And for he now. does not at all. There you go for now until, until March 3rd and then things start getting real fun. Um, but he does not represent by any stretch, the most progressive district within the council. Like I would probably argue that CD 13 is one of the most progressive like council districts. And when it comes to, de- comes to demographics, um, but he is pushing forward these proposals. And I mean, I just want to highlight really quick the the significance of this like rent stabilization change, these proposals that he's changing for or pr- the proposed changes rather for the rent stabilization ordinance. This is huge. Like we keep hearing about these 3%, 4%, 3%, 3%, 3% rate, like increases in rent year on year on year for rent stabilized units across the city. And again, that is 75% of the apartments that exist in the city of Los Angeles fall into the rent stabilization ordinance. But we've got a really shoddy record keeping system when it comes to tracking which units are RSO. The Olympics folks keep running into places that are supposed to be RSO apartments and have been turned into illegal hotels that are being operated on an Airbnb because the city doesn't fucking track it. But Regardless, changing the RSO, like the rent stabilization ordinance, to remove that rent floor, that rental increase floor, and like knock out that 3% threshold and move it down and peg it at the consumer price index, which is the same thing as inflation, basically, 
is such a huge move. It puts us in line with the kind of rent rent uh, rent stabilization that you would see in places like West Hollywood, in Santa Monica, in San Francisco, and it even goes beyond some of what they're doing. It is truly a a huge step in the right direction, and it is going to get a lot of flack from the Apartments Association and the realtors and everybody else because. Oh, man, they do not like it when you touch that gravy train. Um, And another one that's really huge to point out here is this idea of unmasking the LLCs that hold on to these properties. Yeah. Like the work that was done by the, the organizers up in Oakland with Mom's House, like that was incredible. And they had to do so much work to dig in and find out who the hell owned this home because the LLCs that buy these things up, it's super, super easy for companies to just go out there, spend the $700, form an LLC, file that with the Secretary of State for California, and boom, presto, changeo. Now you've got one more layer of like murkiness to make it more difficult for organizers and activists to understand who it is that actually owns these damn things. And when it comes to the major tenant, the major landowners in these areas like I don't know, Blackstone and all these other organizations, they use those LLCs as cover for doing some shady, shady shit and displacing thousands of people out of their homes and pushing them onto the streets. And then we've also got places like, you know, these these money laundering interests that love to use LLCs as ways to, you know, swap pied-a-terres and everything else that they have that they're purchasing these condos in downtown LA, these other homes in the areas that are, you know, primed for gentrification. And they just hold on to them because they know, you know what, even if it doesn't improve in value a ton, the point is that they're able to use our real estate system to just launder their money and avoid taxes back home in 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 Russia or in China or in whichever, you know, dirty petrol states money that it is that they're taken out of the country and trying to hide in the U.S. for their kids and their grandkids and all of their family members so that they can live on when their regime that they've been milking for money uh, finally catches up with them. So yep. anyway, a little bit well, of a rant it's, there. It's, it's, you know, <laughs> I, well, no, I mean, to, to kind of add on to that and th- something that I don't think people understand enough of is companies like Zillow and Redfin have taken over oh, the We yeah. Buy Ugly Houses market. Yes, So when those, when you see those signs up on the freeway and stuff, they're like, learn to be a real estate investor. That's not actually that. Or like, we'll buy your house for like cash. The money that's being used for that is money that's coming from the kingdom of Saudi Arabia because they just want good investments for their insane amount of liquidity. And the only place where they're seeing like a real growth return is in American real estate because we're still in the midst of a massive bubble. Like the bubble that exploded in 2008 was just immediately reinflated because what we allowed to happen was we allowed all these foreclosed properties to be sold to banks and corporations who saw them as an investment vehicle, drove up the price on this concept of false scarcity and are now attempting to like get as big a return as they can while while creating a a renter crisis and an affordability crisis for people who want to buy a home you know if you're a young family and you want to buy a starter home you're competing against a massive corporation for that house and if you're trying to get a mortgage the bank that's selling the house is probably going to be like oh well this guy's offering me cash why would i risk your mortgage at four (laughs) percent over 30 years when this guy's just going to give me cash and can probably give me more cash cash cash. right now than you can Uh, so i'm just going to sell to them and you can just become a permanent renter a permanent renter with no protections no you know guaranteed affordability and when you do move out you don't get to cash out the equity that equity stays out of your hands and in the bank's hands you know the velocity of money is a concept that we don't talk enough about in terms of like 
Marxism and dialectical materialism, but when all of the money is hoarded by a very small group of people, money doesn't really do what it needs to do, which is to circulate around and to change hands. And that mm -hmm. becomes a problem when you have a consumer-based economy that requires people to buy stuff in order to keep yep. that engine running. If nobody has money to buy stuff unless they go into debt, and that debt becomes unsustainable, the system fucking collapses. Like... If you yeah. eat through all of the all <laughs> of the motor oil in your engine, it's going to overheat and explode on you. The same thing is happening here when we're decreasing the velocity of money by allowing the liquidity in the global market to determine what's happening on Main Street. Like it's it's a real fucking problem, and it's one that we don't talk about enough, especially in terms of like wages and rent and other stuff. You know, it's not just hey, it's fair and ethically right that people should be able to afford their homes, which it is, but there's also good economic reasons why you should have higher wages and more disposable income and the ability to save and the ability to own things in a capitalist economy. Like, without that, the economy just kind of eats itself. But this is also why I fundamentally believe that capitalism is a rabid bitch who eats her own children. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> the solution is to, like, do away with that. Uh, but in the meantime, we can at least, like, mitigate some of those harms by just having a little bit more rational approach to who gets money and how they get money and how much money they're allowed to have. Absolutely. So on that note, thank you so much, Councilmember Bonin, for putting your neck out there and pushing for a homes guarantee for L.A. because we need this. Like we, this city is going to be rendered unlivable if the folks that <laughs> folks like Mitch O'Farrell get to keep di dictating how legislation works and keep pushing to, you know, evict folks from parks who are just trying to survive. Uh, we'll go into depth with that one, uh, the Echo Park situation, uh, next time around. And, I mean, I, uh, hopefully I'm, we'll have a special piece coming up, too. I'm totally looking forward to uh, the Homes Guarantee because I am just going to show up at a mansion in Beverly Hills and just be like, this is my home now. I'm guaranteed a home. <laughs> Whatever asshole owns this is, is like out of the country and clearly does not need his 10,000 square foot like third home. So it's mine yeah. now. Yeah, I mean, this also ties in with the eminent domain discussion from the Hillside Villa Tenants Association. Like, honestly, I, I got to say, this is things are getting pretty exciting in the housing politics in the city of Los Angeles. And I am so, so here for it. And transportation politics, all of it. Like, I, this is I'm 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 happy. 2020 is going to be fun for that. All right. So. Let's move on to talking about everyone's favorite police department, uh, who is now being sued for their behavior, it turns out. Woo! Yeah, so let's, let's talk about this lawsuit and uh, the other things that are going on with LAPD this week. Absolutely. So the big one here is that Dr. Melina Abdullah is suing the Los Angeles Police Department. James Queeley over at the LA Times summed up the basis of the suit with a very succinct paragraph I'm going to read for you now. Quote, Melina Abdullah, a Cal, Cal State L.A. professor and permanent fixture at L.A. Police Commission meetings, accused the city and former Los Angeles Police Department Chief Charlie Beck of wrongful arrest and malicious prosecution stemming from a fracas at a May 2018 commission meeting in downtown Los Angeles, end quote. That fracas was, of course, the incident in which Sheila Hines Brim, mother of Okeisha Wilson, threw her daughter's ashes at Charlie Beck. So Melina was arrested on suspicion of battery at the time and charged months later by the city attorney's office with a number of other counts, uh, including four for unlawful assembly, one count of disturbing a public meeting, and one count of interfering with a public meeting, because 
they got to do those two as separate things. Uh, the city attorney's office apparently actually had to go and dig through like all of the archived footage of these police com- police commission meetings from 2017 and 2018 to come up with these this litany of charges. Uh, in February mm-hmm. of 2019, of course, all of those charges were dropped against both Molina and Sheila. So, hey, good job, city attorney, wasting your time. Um, now, the suit that's being brought in in the suit that Molina is bringing against the uh, the city and LAPD chief uh, Beck. Uh, and everybody else that's involved. Um, She's alleging that she was actually targeted for arrest, quote, because she has been a vocal advocate at police commission meetings for the rights of members of the black and brown communities who frequently voices complaints against the police commissioners and members of the LAPD, end quote. Specifically quoting from the Times piece later on, Melina alleges LAPD detective Jason Curtis falsely accused her of assault, shouting, get Melina, shortly after the incident involving Heinz Brim caused a disruption at the May 2018 meeting. She said she never touched Curtis. Um, so yeah, the, the, the allegation here basically is that uh, the, they actually had to push past another protester who was between uh, Molina and the officer at the time in order to get to her, and yet they're claiming that she's the one that was committing battery. Like, she was, there was a protester between her and the cops, so how... Yeah. How, how can she commit battery? Um, but yeah, so I, I actually managed to get a hold of Dr. Abdullah after the Black Lives Matter vigil this week and asked her about the suit. Here's what she had to say. Okay, so we're very happy. I'm very thankful that I have a legal team who not only um, is committed to defending me, so we had a tremendous defense. I had seven top-notch attorneys led by Carl Douglas, who's you know one of the most famous lawyers in the world, right? Um, really push the city and really stand behind the movement because we were um, very committed to not taking a deal, um, to making sure that the charges were dropped against me. Um, And so because the movement was behind that case, um, at every court appearance, there were at least 200 people who showed up, which really shook um, the city and shook the system. And we got those charges dropped. That was our defense. That team was amazing. We had National Lawyers Guild as part of the team, ACLU as part of the team, folks from BLM um, part of the team, and of course led by Carl Douglas. Um, But the team also recognizes that defense isn't all we have. We have to stop the city from filing these false charges against black protesters. I'm not the first black protester to be charged. We know that our own Baba Akili has been charged several times. In fact, there's a case um, that no charges have been filed yet, but there was an arrest recently because he forgot his hat in a room that he was ejected from, right? Um, And so we need to tell the city we're not going to take it um, for them to keep criminalizing us for engaging in what we believe is our sacred duty and is absolutely our First Amendment right, which is to stand up and speak out. And so um, the lawsuit that's been filed is about that. It's about standing up for protests, standing up for black protests in particular, especially during Black History Month. All the people the city is proclaiming to um, support and honor, right, are people who stood up against systems of injustice. And that's the legacy we're trying to inherit. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Melina Abdullah. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you. All right. Well, I'm, I'm 
excited to see where this goes. I'm also excited to see like LAPD have to go through the discovery process and have to produce documents oh, to yeah. explain what their arrest <laughs> is and like why they were targeting a, a Melina Abdullah. Because like as the lawyers get their hands on this stuff, more information is going to come out. And that's really one of the reasons these lawsuits can be really important and really powerful is forcing the police to open up the books, forcing the police to explain why they did certain things, making them produce all of their emails and communications that might mention Dr. Abdullah. So this is going to be like a pretty wild ride, I'm assuming. Um, and it's, it's, you know, Charlie Beck thought that he was done with this. Uh, and he's not. You know, you don't get to be that crappy of a police, uh, uh, police chief and then go live your life walk away. normally yeah. after exa- exerting no. that sort of like force and injustice on our city for that long. So I, I, I'm really pulling for Dr. Abdullah and the rest of Black Lives Matter, and I'm excited to see this strategy get used more and more and more and taking the police to court and forcing them to be held to account for what it is that they've been doing. Um, Absolutely. This yes. actually, really quick before we move on, this ties in pretty directly with what's going on with the Measure R campaign. So in, just to like put a little bit of a pin on it when it comes to dragging out information into the public you know, space and, and airing the, the dirty laundry of the LAPD and the Sheriff's Department in front of the media and getting people to actually look at this shit, granting the subpoena power the way that the city, the, the county board of supervisors rather, uh, has given that authority to the Civilian Oversight Commission for the county sheriffs, like that is a huge step forward. And Measure R would even fur- go, go so much further to protect that by giving it a public mandate by saying like, look, we voted on this and we decided that this is what we want to have. Like this is the law of the land saying that this civilian oversight commission has the authority to demand that you give up your records, your emails, your uh, disciplinary hearings, and and all of the all of the paperwork that shows just give how us the location of Coromandion. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, so like this public airing of the dirty laundry of our wildly just authoritarian and incredibly violent police system in this city and county is that's the way that we start to begin the healing process and moving forward and get these things fixed. Like, I mean, we're, it's going to take a long time until we get to the point where the abolitionists are going to be satisfied, uh, myself included, but you know, it's, it's a thing and it's a process and measure R is going to be helping a lot. I really think that this lawsuit has a lot of potential to help with that as well. And, uh, like, I do not think that uh, Melina's going to be settling. And I, I think that this is going to go a long while and a lot of stuff can come out of it. So yeah. I'm excited. I, it's going to be I, good. I, I hope she takes the tongs to him. Uh, speaking, yeah. speaking of moving into a period of healing, uh, your mail-in ballot has probably arrived. Uh, they yeah. went out February 3rd. Uh, if you don't vote by mail or you don't trust the postal office or, like, you don't, you know, want to put it in the mail, you can start voting in person next Saturday, February 22nd up until March 3rd. You can walk into any of the voting centers in LA County, and it doesn't have to be in your neighborhood. Like, if you live in one part of town and work in another one, and a voting center is more convenient for you, that's closer to your office, not your home, you can just go to that one, and they will give you the correct ballot for your district. Um, on a, it, Because it's all going to be on yeah, it's going to be on a, a touchscreen. There's a lot of things changing about this, but just do not forget, uh, you can also register to vote at the time and place and, and basically cast 
a ballot, uh, even if you're not registered. So for myself, who's going to be moving back just at the beginning of March, I'm probably going to have to do oh, that myself. Um, yeah. But that's, it'll also work if, like, say, your no-party preference and you got your mail-in ballot and it doesn't have Bernie yep. on there because you don't have the yep. Democratic primary and you would like to vote in the Democratic primary, take that mail-in ballot to a voting center, be like, give me a Democratic primary ballot, and they will do it, and it'll be great. Yes, they will. And then Bernie's going to win California and then straight on to the nomination. Absolutely. And just just for like a little bit more inside baseball politics, whatever you want to call it, if you are a proud Bernie supporter and if you do trust the postal system to get your ballots where they got to go in time, if you vote now and if you vote in like early enough before the election that it's received by the registrar and processed ahead of time, they actually will count your ballot and they will log that vote for Bernie Sanders and everything else early. They won't release it, but they'll log that information. And then when the polls close, as soon as the polls close on Super Tuesday, the first number that comes out includes all of those ballots that they've already received from the mail-ins that they've already counted. So if you want to help utterly fucking dominate the news media coverage of Super Tuesday when it comes to the California primary, vote now. Vote as early as you can. Get that thing in there and get the the vote counted and logged so that when it comes time that they drop that news story, boom, you got it. And then Bernie hops out to a commanding lead. And we know he's going to win because we're going to work like hell to make sure that happens. But the early, if you vote early enough to get it counted, it's going to count and make that just even more of a pop. So get out there and do it. <laughs> and also, uh, before we move on to, uh, to what's on the calendar next week, I want to give a huge shout out to Daisy Vega, who is a power leader oh, and a yeah. ground game board member. Uh, she is Woo. one of the California state co-chairs for the Bernie Sanders campaign. Uh, she is an amazing community leader, an amazing community Absolutely. organizer, has for years basically been running her own food pantry out of her garage, yep. making sure that the people in her community have enough food when the state and the city are not providing the resources that people need. So with this kind of momentum and this kind of leadership and experience, I am super hopeful. But let's talk about what's on the calendar for next week. All right. So as always, there is the Black Lives Matter weekly vigil that's going to be happening on Wednesday downtown at 211 West Temple, as always, running from four until six. As just a little quick side note, uh, they've decided to start increasing the space that's being cordoned off with those barriers. Uh, So now we actually had to hold the vigil in the in the shrubs because they've literally blocked off the entire square in front of the Hall of Justice. Chris, what is what is the ADA and why is that relevant? Uh, the ADA is the Americans with Disabilities Act, and it's relevant because they're in gross violation of it because they've made it uh, this public space where we are allowed to gather, damn it, and they've made it completely inaccessible for anybody with a disability to participate in a Black Lives Matter protest and vigil, and um, it just kind of sucks that, you know, like our top law enforcement people and the DA are the ones who are doing this to us. Um, so like, what are we like? I, I don't know. I guess we should probably try to file vote, a lawsuit vote against about that. her. Vote, oh yeah. Vote, also, vote against oh her? yeah, that's right. Yeah. We can vote against her. <laughs> but also, yeah. And this is vote the other her. thing is, is the ADA, um, just sort of some more inside politics stuff. The ADA yeah. is weird in that it provides no direct legal recourse. It's up to the States to decide how they want to do that. In the state of California, they decided to make that private lawsuits. So like if you did want to pressure the sheriff's department and you are mobility impaired and you tried to show up to one of these events and could not access it, you could sue the sheriff's department for a minimum of $5,000 for each violation. 
So that's just a thought if you're looking to kick up some dust with the L.A. County sheriffs. Oh, man. I... I have a, I have a plan now. This is going to get fun. Uh, putting that one in the back pocket. Uh, so anyway, other things that are happening this uh, in in the coming week, we've got the Los Angeles Tenants Union is going to be having a couple of meetings uh, on Wednesday the nineteenth. They are going to be having a West Side local meeting from six thirty to eight thirty. Uh, they've got a mid city local happening from seven to nine, and they've got an East Hollywood local meeting happening again from seven to nine. And then, of course, on Thursday at the same time as Ground Game, basically we've got the Vibe local, which they're they're like not going to say I've got a favorite Latu chapter, but I do love the folks over at Vibe. Um, they've got their meeting at from seven to nine over at UTLA on the tenth floor. Uh, check it out. And then, of course, on Saturday they've also got their. Uh, Baldwin Limart Crenshaw local, which I, I'm excited to see what comes out of that new, I believe it's a new local that has formed and, uh, it could definitely be having some very fun things going on. So I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that they're tied in with the, uh, the Crenshaw subway coalition, which, uh, Damien Goodman, by the way, one of the coolest activists out there, so much fun to run into him at all of these different events going on, like the Hillside Villa apartment, uh, tenants association and every, everything else that I see him. He was at the homes guarantee. Yeah. So we've got all these different, uh, Los Angeles tenants union meetings, locals happening. And then of course you've got the ground game meeting happening every Thursday, as always from seven 30 to nine meeting is 56, 17 Hollywood Boulevard, just a couple of blocks from the Western and Hollywood Metro Station, which it's not the A line, it's the B or not the red line anymore. It's the B B line, right? Uh, so yeah, get on that B line, get over to the the Hollywood Western Station, come to a ground game meeting. Make the trains um, go yeah. faster. No, we'll give them new names. Fucking. Hell. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, they made them worse again. The A line is, uh. is actually worse than the blue line was, but you know they closed it down for like a long time and did a, spent a whole bunch of money and it didn't get any better because yay. LA but Metro. but nonetheless, take the B line to Hollywood and then make a Absolutely. B line for our office. Hey, there you go. And as always, if y'all have any events that you want us to take part in, publicize, or just be made aware of, send us a message. You can reach us through the Ground Game LA Facebook page or by email over at podcast at groundgamela.org. This podcast and every Ground Game podcast is a production of Knock.LA. Support our work over on Patreon at patreon.com slash knock underscore LA. Check the description for sources, links to actions, and social media. Thanks. So uh, this weekend, I, I'm a little bit like excited. I'm going out uh, camping. I'm heading out towards the Salton Sea area where civilization is a blessed, blessed afterthought. And uh, <laughs> I just wanted to leave us on a Douglas Adams quote. You know, some of us thought that we should go back to the trees. And some said that even the trees had been a bad move and that no one should have ever left the oceans. Have a great week, y'all. <laughs> Thanks, y'all.
call it better if you met. Thirty-one more. Thirty-one more. Thirty-one more. Thirty-one more. 